What's the word, Kansas City? Happy Tuesday. My name's Hartzell. Hope you're having a phenomenal start to your week. Tuesdays on this, your KC Morning Show, you know what we do. Myself, Professor Harvey K., the Professor Emeritus from the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. We take back America, reclaiming that radical, progressive history of America. We got it. Always had it. Let's go back to it. That is at least what Professor K and myself try to make the argument for every single week. And today, taking it back to a little poetry. Yeah, it's been a while. And if I may say so myself, we absolutely crushed it. Rates, review, subscribe, do that thing that you do. Back in your feeds tomorrow. It is a good day to be a Kansas City and absolutely. We'll see you in the morning. January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Citians must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. Professor Harvey K., my brother. He is the Professor Emeritus at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. You are just... A sight for sore socialist eyes, Professor Harvey <laughs> K. Oh, how I've missed you. My brother, are you ready to take back America? We've waited too long to reunite. As a consequence, we're on the verge of losing all of America, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, let's see how you've been, because you've been traveling back and forth. You attended a pretty amazing speech that you even got a shout out on. That was pretty cool. Fill these folks in, Harvey. What you been up to? Okay, so... As people may know, I think we've mentioned it before, but if we haven't, we'll say it here. I am an advisor to Marianne Williamson's campaign and to Marianne, I'm friend and advisor. And I worked with her both in terms of her launch and in terms of her speech recently, not surprisingly, as a call for an economic bill of rights, which is now at the forefront of her campaign. So I flew back and forth to DC a few times over the course of these past several months, a couple of times just within the past few weeks. And it was exciting because she presented a really, really dynamic speech as she did at her launch and again at the National Press Club to present the idea, the call project for an economic bill of rights. So yeah, I've been pretty busy that way. The other thing is, is that I'm working right now on a talk that I'll deliver in June at the Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt Reading Festival up at Hyde Park that's Saturday, June 24th. As well, just as long as we're talking what I've been up to, I had been at something called the Grassroots Network, a gathering, a conference, a festival of progressive groups here in Wisconsin held out in 
a rural area in the southwestern part of the state, and I met some really dynamic people from our Wisconsin Revolution, some young, very dynamic people, and some very dynamic middle-aged people as well. I put myself now in the senior citizen category. I was so impressed that I joined our Wisconsin Revolution, and this summer they're going to be doing a convention in Madison, July 15th, and I may well be speaking there on the Economic Bill of Rights. We've talked about the possibility of you and I, of you and me, I guess it's of you and me, getting together in Madison if I can get you to fly to Green Bay and then we'll drive down to Madison. So there's lots of stuff happening. Before we dive into what we're getting into today, can we talk about DeSantis? Can we talk about the debt ceiling? Just real quick. Let's start with the fact that DeSantis is not doing as well as he hoped, which is a good sign. But it remains the case that in the meantime, he's been turning Florida, he calls it the state of freedom or something like that, more like the state of quasi-fascism, actually. I mean, you can't get much more reactionary than the things he's doing to the state generally, to higher education, especially, and education in public schools decidedly. He's a creature of Trump, you might say. Okay, he's a creature of Trump. And what makes all that even worse is that, of course, the Republicans have not brought forth a reasonable candidate to consider. Their leading candidate is Donald Trump, who, of course, incited the insurrection in January of 2021. So things on the Republican side look terrible. And of course, your state is governed by those folks. Yep. The state of Wisconsin, fortunately, we have a Democratic governor, even though the Republicans control the legislature and have been doing a lot of damage to us. But I also want to say that if all goes well, you and I are going to talk about a Missouri Republican senator in the next couple of weeks. Somebody we started right. Take Back America addressing. So a few years ago, was it three years? Spring of 21. Yeah. And uh, Josh Hawley brought out a book titled The Tyranny of Big Tech, which I will remind everyone shocked me a lot because it was written from a radical perspective, which probably shocked a lot of Republicans too. Ultimately, the book was not as radical as it started out in its historical terms, but it shocked me. And I wrote a piece which appears at Common Dreams on the fact that it was shocking to read a right winger like Hawley talking about American history as if I had written it, as opposed to, as I said, a right-wing Republican. But ultimately, I would have made a completely different argument of that history than he did. But having said that, he's got a new book out. I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting my copy, as you probably are too. Yep. A book titled Manhood. I mean, I always want to laugh when I hear it. But <laughs> And if we had a video when we do the show for that book in a week or two, we would definitely want to have the picture of Hawley running through the halls of oh, absolutely. the halls of the Capitol looking like he's uh, trying not to step on eggs. We have to talk about this. The, the utter capitulation of the president, the debt ceiling, all of this nonsense, just basically caving to Republicans. Harvey, what the hell, man? Okay, well, look, I expected, by the way, I expected even worse from those debt ceiling, in quotes, negotiations, because Biden was capable of giving away the whole store. He probably gave away a whole set of racks in the store. <laughs> and he set a bad precedent again. I mean, this is the same Biden, we shouldn't forget, who for 40 years, when he was in the House and the Senate, was basically a champion of neoliberalism. And his claim to be the next FDR when he entered the White House, or at least his 
team's claim that he would be the next FDR, I always thought was outrageous. It seemed almost impossible that he would go from one kind of Democrat, the neoliberal, to the other kind, the FDR Democrat. And what, what was interesting is that everyone else said, oh, you, you know, you're not giving him a chance. Well, I liked the American Rescue Plan of that early spring 2021. But it was also the case that he didn't do anything to help Bernie secure a $15 an hour minimum wage. I also thought it was bizarre that the Democrats were saying, hey, we're going to lift poor kids out of poverty, right? Half, half of all the poor kids out of poverty. And I said, well, wait a minute, I have two questions. Why are you only doing it for one year? Does that mean they all fall back into poverty at the end of the year? And two, this was even more important, why only half? Why not just move and put a f***ing end to this tragic story, right? Or why not announce that you are now going to pursue Medicare for all children? I mean, just do... Anyhow, so I did a major interview with Jacobin Magazine that came out in January 2022, which was essentially titled, Biden never really wanted to be the next FDR, something like that. It's still there posted on Jacobin if anyone wants it. Look, if, if it ever came down to it and it's Trump versus Biden or DeSantis versus Biden, hell, I'm gonna, I'll vote for Biden. But in the meantime, as I, we've made clear, I support Marianne, Williamson, who's projecting what is not at all an unusual argument for a Democrat, if you put it in historical perspectives, it's the redemption, resurrection, and the advancement of the FDR vision in a 21st century fashion. And I will remind everyone who knows your show and my Tuesday Take Back America kinds of things, that we had Nina Turner on with us yep. last year, and Nina had embraced the Economic Bill of Rights, and I was an advisor to her campaign at that time. And I'm still in touch with her, and she's still committed to the idea of an economic bill of rights. In fact, I want to go further, if I haven't said it before on the show, if Nina had won, hell, I might well have moved, I might well have moved to D.C. to be close to keep her going on that economic bill of rights stuff. You know, it was to be expected, could have been worse, but it's still the case. It's still the case, right, that this is not an FDR presidency. It's, you know, it's far from that. It's more like a second round of Obama, one might say. Well, Harvey K., we are caught up on the news of the day. Let's break this down. We're going to shift gears back to some sweet poetry. It's been a little bit, but now we get a chance to take it back to the stanza. America was promises, Harvey K., by Archibald McLeish. Let's go ahead and let's talk about it. Let me tell people who Archibald McLeish was. I've got a few paragraphs here that'll introduce him, his significance. This is from the magazine American Heritage. This is a, an article of the American Heritage 20 years ago titled America Was Promises, an interview with Archibald McLeish. I'll just read the biographical stuff so people understand. He was born in Glencoe, Illinois. His father was a Scottish immigrant from Glasgow as a boy. It was a kind of Horatio Alger story, came from very little, and he became basically a co-founder of the successful Chicago department store, Carson, Peary, Scott & Company. I was also a founder of the University of Chicago. I mean, this is from nothing to everything. McLeish's mother had been the young president of a Rockford institution, later Rockford College for Women, when she married the father. From the start, education played a large part in McLeish's life. McLeish went to Hotchkiss, which must be some prep school, okay, and Yale University, where he was on the football team. And he edited the Yale Literary Magazine. And I like that combination, football and literature. He was elected to Skull and Bones. That's that, that club that the Bushes, you know, were part of, too. It's the folks who think they run the world and probably do in many ways. And <laughs> when justice and the revolution come, we'll take care of that question. <laughs> in 1916, while Archibald McLeish was at Harvard Law School, he married Ada Hitchcock, a concert singer. 
McLeish's first book of poems was published in 1917 while he was in the field artillery. That was during World War I. After the war, he finished law school, practiced law in Boston, and then abruptly gave it up to go to France and write poetry. That was not terribly unusual for that generation that had been in World War I and they had come back to the States or didn't immediately return to the States. It's a whole group of artists and intellectuals basically set themselves up in Paris. So he gave up practice, the practice of law to write poetry in France. And he seemed to know everyone in those days. There was this whole crew of Americans who were there. Hemingway, Fitzgerald, he knew Picasso, Joyce, Thornton Wilder. I mean, he was part of that crowd. But then McLeish always had a talent for knowing people who matter. And then the author of this article says, I say that not to disparage, but to admire him. McLeish returned to the United States in 1928 and won his first Pulitzer Prize for Conquistador, a long narrative poem, and he took a job at Fortune magazine. In 1939, Franklin Roosevelt appointed him Librarian of Congress, and McLeish became a member of the president's inner circle. Roosevelt soon had him running not only the Library of Congress, but the first wartime propaganda organization, the Office of Facts and Figures, which became the Office of War Information. Later, McLeish served as Assistant Secretary of State, and after Roosevelt's death, ended his public life as chairman of the American delegation to the first conference of UNESCO in 1946. He won two more Pulitzers for his collected poems and for his verse play, J.B., which also won a Tony Award. I guess it was turned into a play. In 1977, he was awarded the Medal of Freedom. And thereafter, he was a distinguished academic, and I don't need to go through all that kind of stuff. What's interesting in this case is, this is a poem, America Was Promises, that he wrote in the late 1930s, was published in book form, a very small, thin book, in 1930, let me get the exact date, was it 1938 or 1939? 1939, I guess it was. And this is a poem that in some ways, people wondered, why isn't it called America Is Promises? But in part, it's because this poem is a warning, a moment in which fascism is in the form of Italian fascism and German Nazism, okay, Hitler and Mussolini in Europe have been overrunning, are launching what we think of as World War II in Europe. And moreover, out in East Asia, the Japanese for some years have been invading and seeking the conquest of China and would eventually seek conquest of all of East Asia. So the thing about America's promises is this. This is a poem in which he keeps talking about America as a promise, and yet a promise for whom? you might say. But on top of that, he goes on to this other point, and that is, it doesn't become a promise automatically. It's not a matter of inertia or simple evolution. It will only become the promise that it should be when Americans get it together and take charge, okay? That they will not bow to rulers and overlords, okay? So this is a firmly, small-d, democratic poem directed at the American people to awaken them to the possibilities they have and the threats that present themselves. If I can, Professor K, on the other side of that too, he mentions that vacuum. If we don't get it together, if we don't take what is ours, other folks will, and they'll use yes. it to the most nefarious of gains, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for putting it that way. A absolutely. Now, there are folks who should be addressed in this poem who do not. This is not a poem directed at people of color, I mean, it's directed at all Americans, but it does not highlight the gross inequalities, especially, we'll say, of race in the United States. But it does deal with the question of inequalities, material inequalities that whether you're white, black or brown, you were subjected to. I just want to add a little note. 
One of the reasons I've always really liked this poem is it doesn't fail to cite Thomas Paine in a very, <laughs> in a very small de-democratic way. We've decided we're going to do it by stanza, even if the stanzas stand as one line alone. With that in mind, America Was Promises by Archibald MacLeish, read to you by or recited by Hartzell Gray and Harvey Kay, little poetry there, right? Oh. And comrade, one of my dear friends, Hartzell Gray. Who is the voyager in these leaves? Who is the traveler in this journey? Deciphers the revolving night, receives the signal from the light returning. America was promises to whom? East were the dead kings and the remembered sepulchers. West was the grass. The groves of the oak were at evening. Eastward are the nights where we have slept. And on we move. We move down. With the first light, we push forward. We descend from the past as a wandering people from mountains. We cross into the day to be discovered. The dead are left where they fall at dark. At night, late under the coverlets, we mark the place with the shape of our teeth on our fingers. The room is left as it was. The love. Who is the traveler in these leaves? These annual waters and beside the doors? Jonquils, then the rose, the eaves, heaping the thunder up, the mornings, opening on like great valleys, never till now approached, the familiar trees, far off, distant with the future, the hollyhocks beyond the afternoons, the butterflies over the ripening fruit on the balconies, and all beautiful, all before us. America was always promises. From the first voyage and the first ship, there were promises. The tropic bird which does not sleep at sea. The great mass of dark, heavy clouds, which is a sign. The drizzle of rain without wind, which is a sure sign. The whale, which is an indication. The stick appearing to be carved with iron. The stalk loaded with roseberries. And all these signs were from the west. And all night heard birds passing. Who is the voyager on these coasts? Who is the traveler in these waters, expects the future as a shore, foresees like Indies to the west the ending? He the rumor of the surf intends? America was promises. To whom? Jefferson knew, declared it before God and before history, declares it still in the remembering tomb. The promises were man's. The land was his. Man endowed by his creator earnest in love, perfectible by reason, just in perceiving justice, his natural nature, clean and sweet at the source as springs in trees are. It was man, the promises contemplated. The times had chosen man, no other. Bloom on his face of every future, brother of stars and of all travelers, brother of time and all mysteries, brother of grass also, of fruit trees. It was man who had been promised, who should have. Man was to ride from the tide water over the gap, west and south with the water, taking the book with him, taking the wheat seed, the corn seed, pip of apple, building liberty a farm yard wide, breeding for useful labor, for good looks, for husbandry, humanity, for pride. Practicing self-respect and common decency. And man turned into men in Philadelphia. Practicing prudence on a long-term lease. 
building liberty to fit the parlor, bread for crystal on the front room shelves, just and perceiving justice by the dollar, patriotic with the bonds at par, and their children's children brag of their deeds for the colonies. Man rode up from the tidewater, over the gap, turned into men, turned into two-day settlers, lawyers with the land grants in their caps, coonskin voters wanting theirs and getting it. Turned the promises to capital. Invested it. America was always promises. The wheel like a sun as big as a cartwheel, with many sorts of pictures on it, the whole of fine gold. Twenty golden ducks, beautifully worked and very natural looking. And some like dogs, of the kind they keep. And they waved us west from the dunes. They cried out, Kalua, Kalua, Mexico, Mexico, Kalua. America was promises to whom? Old man Adams knew. He told us an aristocracy of compound interest, hereditary through the common stock. We'd have one sure before the mayor was older. The first want of every man was his dinner. The second, his girl. Kings were by the pocket. Wealth made blood, made wealth, made blood, made wealthy. Enlightened selfishness gave lasting light. Winners bred grandsons, losers only bred. And the aristocracy of politics selfishness bought the land up, bought the towns, the sites, the goods, the government, the people, bled them, sold them, kept the profit, lost itself. The aristocracy of wealth and talents turned its talents into wealth and lost them, turned enlightened selfishness to wealth, turned self-interest into bank books, balanced them, bred out, bred to fools, to hustlers, card sharps, well-dressed women, dance floor doublers. The aristocracy of wealth and talents sold its talents, bought the public notice, drank in public, went to bed in public, patronized the arts in public, palled with public authors, public beauties, posed in public postures for the public page. The aristocracy of wealth and talents withered of talent and ashamed of wealth, bred to sons-in-law. Insane relations, girls with open secrets, sailors galahads, prurient virgins with the tales to tell, women with dead wombs and living wishes. The aristocracy of wealth and talents moved out, settled on the continent, sat beside the water at Rapallo, died in a rented house, unwept, unhonored. And the child says, I see the lightning on you. The weed between the railroad tracks, tasting of sweat, tasting of poverty, the bitter and pure taste where the hawk hovers, native as the deer bone in the sand. Oh, my America, for whom? For whom the promises? For whom the river? It flows west. Look at the ripple of it, the grass, so that it was wonderful to see, and the endless without end, with wind, wonderful. The great lakes, landless as oceans, their beaches, coarse sand, clean gravel, pebbles, their bluffs, smelling of sunflowers, smelling of surf, of fresh water, of wild sunflowers, wilderness. For whom the evening mountains of the sky, the night wind from the west, the moon descending? Tom Paine knew. Tom Paine knew the people. The promises were spoken to the people. History was voyages toward the people. Americas were landfalls of the people. Stars and expectations were the signals of the people. 
Whatever was truly built, the people had built it. Whatever was taken down, they had taken down. Whatever was worn away, they had worn. Axe handles, fiddle bows, sills of doorways, names for children, for mountains. Whatever was long forgotten, they had forgotten. Fame of the great, names of the rich, and their mottos. The people had the promises, they'd keep them. They waited their time in the world, they had wise sayings. They counted out their time by day to day. They counted it out day after day into history. They had time and to spare in the spill of their big fists. They had all the time there was like a handful of wheat seed. When the time came, they would speak and the rest would listen. And the time came and the people did not speak. The time came, the time comes. The speakers come and those who speak are not the people. These who speak with gun stocks at the doors, these the coarse, ambitious priest leads by the bloody fingers forward. These who reach with stiffened arm to touch what none who took dare touch before. These who touch the truth are not the people. These, the savage fables of the time, lick at the fingers as a bitch will wake at morning. Those who teach the lie are not the people. The time came. The time comes. Comes, and to whom? To these? Was it for these the surf was secret on the newfound shore? Was it for these the branch was on the water? These whom all the years were toward? The golden images, the clouds, the mountains? Never before, never in any summer, never were days so generous, stars so mild. Even in old men's talk or in books or remembering far back in a gone childhood. Are farther still to the light where Homer wanders, the air all lucid with the solemn blue, that hills take at the distance beyond change, that time takes also at the distances. Never were there promises as now, never was green deeper, earth warmer, light more beautiful to see, the sound of water lovelier, the many forms of leaves, stones, clouds, beasts, shadows, clearer, more admirable, or the faces more like sweeping faces or the hands quicker, more brotherly. The aching taste of time, more salt upon the tongue, more human. Never in any summer. And to whom? At dusk by streetlights, in the rooms we ask this. We do not ask for truth now from John Adams. We do not ask for tongues from Thomas Jefferson. We do not ask for justice from Tom Paine. We ask for answers. And there is an answer. There in Spain, Austria, Poland, China, Bohemia, there are dead men in the pits in all those countries. Their mouths are silent, but they speak. They say the promises are theirs who take them. Listen, brothers. Listen, generation. Listen. You have heard these words. Believe it. Believe the promises are theirs who take them. Believe unless we take them for ourselves. Others will take them for the use of others. Believe unless we take them for ourselves, all of us. One here, another there. Men, not man. People, not the people. Hands, mouths, arms, eyes, not syllables. Believe unless we take them for ourselves, others will take them. Not for us but for others. Believe, unless we take them for ourselves, now, soon, by the clock, before tomorrow, 
others will take them. Not for now, for longer. Listen, brothers, generation, companions of leaves, of the sun, of the slow evenings, companions of the many days, all of them, listen, believe the speaking dead, believe the journey is our journey. Oh, believe the signals were to us, the signs, the birds by night, the breaking surf. Believe America is promises to take. America is promises to us to take them brutally with love, but take them. Oh, believe this. Harvey K, that was one of my favorite renditions, resuscitations that we've ever done. That was amazing. I agree. Pat on the back. <laughs> I will go ahead and pat us on the back. We were chatting last few days, last few weeks. We wanted to do poetry, but we didn't know which one to do. Why did you feel like we needed to circle back to this one today in this moment? This is the patriotic season. Memorial Day to July 4th. The sacrifices of generations that we honor on Memorial Day weekend. The sacrifices of a generation that for all of its faults projected a democratic republic, an independent democratic republic made by the people, for the people, you know the words from Lincoln. Okay, you've got those two moments, Memorial Day and July 4th. We're in that patriotic season, and the problem is, perhaps, that the patriotic season becomes just barbecues and fireworks, and staying up late at night drinking and hearing everybody in the neighborhood setting off fireworks. But we got to remember, celebrating is not what we really need to do right now. What we really need to do is ask ourselves, are we prepared to act in solidarity to secure the promise? That's why we take back America. We take back America to say that to be a patriot is to be a progressive. And to be a progressive is to be a patriot, Harvey K. You got it. I'm with you, man. Where can these folks find you on the internet, the Twitter spheres? Where can they go? On Twitter itself, H-A-R-V-E-Y-J-K-A-Y-E. That's the only place you'll find me. And uh, I can tell you it's a tough time out there right now between Elon Musk's ownership and the way in which what I think of as the Bidenettes, they seem, they seem more, <laughs> more willing to attack me than the Trumpster types. <laughs> it's like you said, Professor K, we're in that patriotic season and I believe that we will win. I know we will. You can get me on Twitter at Hartzell965. Get the show, the KC Morning Show, at KC Morning Show on Twitters, the KC Morning Show on Instagram. My brother! Back next week. You bet. I'm looking forward to it already. Love you, brother. Starry nights, sunny days. I always thought that love should be that way. Then comes a time that you're ridden with doubts. You blocked all your can and now you're all of doubts. Ooh, ooh, baby, we've been you I want
wanted to say I think the little emotion goes a long, long way Careful now, don't get caught in your dreams Look out, baby, this is not what it seems Ooh, ooh, baby, you've been so good Shine!